fasten your seat belts. I'm taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Go get him, kid. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. Not a tumor at all. As if. You're going to ask me. So you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me. And my natural response could be to get offended. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week, 30 years in the making. It is the 30-something movie podcast. Uh, I am your host, John Reed. I have with me Patrick Canigallo. Patrick, how are you doing? Doing well, John. How are you doing? Excellent. We're we're all fine here now. Thank you. Thank you. How are you? Uh, large reactor leak. Give me a second it's, to uh, lock it down. It's large, large leak. Very dangerous. Um, large leak. Very dangerous. That's. I said that when I was when I was in charge of our tech support team in the school district. I said that a couple of times, and sadly, nobody awesome. knew what I was talking about. Yeah, that's need to. And and granted, during pandemic times and remote learning. Not a whole lot of senses of humor. No, you just gotta have. Well, you know what? I, you gotta have senses of humor. That's kind of what helps get you through. You, you gotta kind of have a little fun with it, even even when you know everything's on fire around you. Oh yeah. So yeah, that's that's the time to be having fun. That, that's the time. Oh, just gotta, to make fun of things. Gotta, right? gotta coach them up a little bit. Yeah. Coach them up. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, this episode we are talking about the Jeff Bridges, Robin Williams, Terry Gilliam movie, The Fisher King. We spoil freely here, so this is your one and only warning. We are also members of the Scene Stealers Podcast Network. If you want to go check them out, Scene Stealers International Convention Agent. They have a ton of movie, TV, sports, um, I think some TikTok celebrities, um, I think some cosplayers, all kinds of other stuff. If you want to get people in, if you're uh, organizing or if you're part of an organization that is running a convention or any kind of a, an event like that, and you want to get some celebrities in there, go ahead and reach out to them. They're at scenestealersglobal.com. They have got a bunch of people from the TV show Cobra Kai. Um, They have some folks from the Sopranos. They have some folks from uh, the Back to the Future movies. They've got, uh, I did notice they have Robert Davi from Die Hard and the Goonies and License to Kill. Um, they have got, yeah, a bunch of, a uh, bunch of Cobra Kai folks on here. Um, they have uh, John Schneider, who was in the Dukes of Hazard in Smallville. Um, yeah. They've got some Goodfellas folks. They've got um, yeah, several Karate Kid people, Adventures in Babysitting, Never Ending Story, one of Pat's favorite movies of all time. Um, it's great. And then uh, Big Trouble in Little China, several people from that. Oh. One, so. so go check them out. Um, Caddyshack, I think there's at least one or two people from Caddyshack on there. So, uh, yeah, go check them out. SceneStealersGlobal.com if you're looking for some celebrities for your event. And then when you're done checking them out, you can come check out a bunch of, uh, let's call us local celebrities. Local celebrities. Local celebrities. Now, granted, I am also big in Georgia, but... Um, that's it. Mostly local I'm elect- celebrities. 
I'm a legend in my own mind. So okay. there you go. All right. All right. Um, so then you can go check out some local celebrities at 30podcast.com uh, would be our website where you can leave a rating, leave a voicemail, um, leave a PlayStation 5 for Pat uh, if you've got one just laying around that you're not using uh, and you're, you're willing to give it away as a tax write-off. Um, yeah. And then you can become a co-executive producer with us via Patreon, so you can get access to all the special episodes that we put out over there for our Patreon subscribers. Um, any level of support gets you access to those bonus episodes, but there are also some other levels where you can either tell us what movie to watch and talk about, you can join us on the show, um, you can just provide some moral support, uh, where we give you a shout-out, we put your name on our patrons page of our uh, uh, website that we have. Um, if you have your own podcast, we'll, we'll give you a shout out for that too and, and help get you some advertising there. Um, but we've got all kinds of different levels that you can join us at on Patreon, but any level at all, you know, even the lowest level of, uh, that's possible on there, you get access to those bonus episodes. So go check us out on there if that's something that you are interested in supporting. We thank you so much for all the supporters that we've got over there who have been with us. Uh, for a while now and and just thank you so much for just the ways that you show your appreciation for the show and uh, we hope that we are making a a show that continues to get better and and that you enjoy week in and week out so thank you so much to all of our patreon co-executive producers agreed all right um so let's see i don't know if we have anything else to talk about um i think we can probably just jump right on into the movie there pat i think it's movie time movie time all right, movie time. This one is The Fisher King. It came out on the 27th of September, 1991, rated R, um, for a few obvious reasons. I mean, you in Central Park, you you do get, you do get to see Robin and his Williams. Um, mm-hmm. So it is rated R. Uh, runtime of two hours and 17 minutes, directed by Terry Gilliam, who also did Monty Python and the Holy Grail and 12 Monkeys. Producers were Deborah Hill, who died in 2005, and Linda Opst, uh, Hill also produced the 1978, the original Halloween movie, as well as Escape from New York. Ops did Adventures in Babysitting and Interstellar. Writer for this one was Richard Lagravenez. He also did Freedom Writers and Behind the Candelabra. Cinematography was done by Roger Pratt, who also did 12 Monkeys and the 1989 Batman. Editor was Leslie Walker, who did Emma and Mamma Mia. Music was done by George Fenton, who did Groundhog Day and Ever After, A Cinderella Story. Budget on this one was 24 million. Box office was 41.9 million. So actually did do a, a pretty decent job at the box office. Uh, Flick Metrics, which combines Rotten Tomatoes, IMDb, and Letterbox, gives this as a 75%. Cinema score gives it a B. Starring Jeff Bridges as Jack. He was in The Big Lebowski and the 2010 True Grit. Robin Williams, who died in 2014, plays Perry. He was in Goodwill Hunting and Patch Adams. Mercedes Rule, who played Anne. She was in Big and The Secret of My Success. Amanda Plummer played Lydia. She was in Pulp Fiction and The Prophecy. David Hyde Pierce played Lou, the agent. He was in Frasier and A Bug's Life. Ted Ross, who died in 2002, played the limo bum. He was in Arthur and Police Academy. Kathy Najimi played the crazed video customer. She was in Sister Act and King of the Hill. Harry Shearer played the sitcom actor Ben Starr. Forgive me. Um, he was in The Simpsons and This Is Spinal Tap. Michael Jeter, who died in 2003, played the homeless cabaret singer. He was in a TV series called Evening Shade and a movie, the movie The Green Mile. And John DeLancey was a TV executive 
and he was in Star Trek as Q in uh, several different Star Trek series and the movie Multiplicity with Michael Keaton. After shock jock Jack Lucas inadvertently provokes a caller into murdering a group of innocent people in a Manhattan bar, he grows depressed and turns to booze. As he's about to hit rock bottom, Lucas meets a homeless man named Perry, whose wife was killed by the caller Lucas pushed to the brink. Mentally scarred by his loss, Perry spends his days searching for the Holy Grail. Lucas, feeling culpable for the poor man's plight, pledges to help him in his quest. Okay, Jack, we're on the air in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, it's Monday morning, and I'm Jack Lucas. In the world of talk radio, Jack Lucas was king. Look, I said I want an offer they can forget it. To stay on top, he did whatever he had to. Forgive me! But one day, Jack went too far. It was Mr. Lucas's offhand remark that seemed to have fatal impact on Mr. Malnick. No matter what I have, it feels like I have nothing. Yo, what's going on? And just when he was about to give up on his own life, oh. he stumbled into Perry's. Unhand that degenerate and remove your presence! Oh. I like New York in June. How about you? You know who I am? A hood ornament. No. I'm a knight on a special quest. A quest. And I need help. You're out of your mind! Yes! Now, Jack has to do something he's never done before. Isn't she a vision? I'm deeply smitten. Help someone else. I thought that if I could get him this, uh, this girl that he loves, things would change for me. Let's do it right here. Let's go to that place of splendor in the grass. And this is Perry. Perry. Perry, Perry. No, it is Perry. Huh? Like Moses. <laughs> I think they made for each other. <laughs> Scary, but true. Sometimes, to find yourself. I'm the janitor of God. You find some pretty wonderful things in the trash. You have to risk it all. Bingo! I'm not doing that. Robin Williams, Jeff Bridges, The Fisher King. I love this guy! Oh, yeah. Yeah. Public oh, again. No. All right. So our typical first question, is this the first time you've ever seen this movie? And how does this movie make you feel? Yes. And... I wanted to say sad, but no, not sad. Yeah, it, the the movie. Yeah, overall, it made me feel sad, but then the happy ending was heartwarming. But mm-hmm. I was I was sad watching this movie. Okay. What about you? I for me, this is not the first time I've seen this one. I've seen this one probably. <laughs> Uh, three or four times. All right. Um, so this is, uh, this is probably maybe the fourth time I've seen this one. Um, this was, and, and, and even before he passed away, but, um, there would be some times where I would kind of get onto like a, a kick of, I'm going to watch a bunch of Hitchcock movies all at once. I'm going to watch a bunch of Harrison Ford movies all at once. I'm going to watch a bunch of Robin Williams movies all at once. 
and I want to say the first time I caught this one was when I was in college, and I know I've talked about it before. We had the uh, the VHS rental place that just mm-hmm. had tons and tons of movies um, that you really wouldn't find anywhere else. And I I know I had seen this one before. I had heard this one before, um, you know, at, at other video stores or in other lists of Robin Williams movies and things like that. But up until I was, I was in college and I was doing one of those weekends of, yeah, let me let me throw down five bucks and rent ten movies. Um, and, you know, I think it was one of those stretches where I was like, let me just rent a whole bunch of Robin Williams movies and um, I'm going to take them home. I'm going to watch them. And the first time I watched this movie, I... I'm not sure if I completely knew what was going on. Um, okay. I'm not sure if my, my movie palette was quite sophisticated enough to fully understand Terry Gilliam and his, uh, his non uh, Monty Python movies. Um, okay. And so I was like, all right, that, that movie was, that movie was cool, but I think I have to watch it again. Um, okay. So I think it took a couple of viewings until I really kind of got to, you know, the the point where I was like, okay, I know what's going on now. Like I I got a got a pretty good sense of this, and and I like this movie. So that's a long winded way of saying what's my one word or short phrase of how this movie makes me feel. Um, this movie makes me feel. Um, I like New York in the no. Um, <laughs> this movie makes me feel. This movie makes me feel happy that I get to see Robin Williams in one of his best performances. Okay. Yeah. Like I, I enjoy this movie. This movie is weird and quirky, um, but I enjoy it every time I've watched it. I got it. So now when you were saying, trying to figure out what was going on, is it basically what the plot is that we're going to like explore in, in the podcast and everything? And you were just like, okay, what's happening here? Or was it like, a deeper meaning like, Hey, this is really what this movie is trying to say. And it took you a couple of viewings to figure out like what the movie was trying to say. I, I mean the, the basic plot, I mean, I got the idea of that. It was, you know, you, you've got the shock jock who, you know, took things a little bit too far and uh-huh. um, you know, his, his life has kind of been screwed up because of what he did. And then you've got the story of Robin Williams and his life is messed up because his wife is one of the ones that got killed uh, when the gun mm-hmm. came through the the Manhattan bar. And so yeah. you know, that piece of it and understanding, you know, it's taken me a little while. I was like, why does he, why does he need this, this Holy grail that's inside this like castle mansion that's in the middle of the city? Um, mm-hmm. Why does he need that? Like, I don't understand that part. And just some of the other, the motivations behind uh, parts of the story. When I watched it the first time, I was like, I, I'm not sure, like I'm having fun watching this because I'm having fun watching Jeff Bridges and Robin Williams and, you know, and, and it's a it's a weird movie and it's got the weird camera angles that, um, you know, Terry Gilliam is is known for. And um, yeah, but I'm not 100 percent sure, like, what is going on here. Um, right. I, for the most part, I mean, the story is fairly straightforward and the relationships between the characters, those are all interesting and good and and all that. Some of it was the deeper meaning. Like, what is right. what is this red knight supposed to be? That one I felt was pretty obvious the first time I watched it. Um, but there were okay. some other, I think there were probably some other bits and pieces here and there that I was like, um, I'm not sure yet what this is supposed right. to mean. Right. 
I know it's supposed to mean something, but I'm not 100% sure yet what it is supposed to mean. And it took me a couple of viewings until I was like, oh, okay. I, uh, I, I get it now. I got it. Get understood. So, um, so I mean, we've, we've talked a little bit about it. We've, we've danced around it a little bit. The basic premise of the movie is that uh, Jack, you know, took things a little bit too far with one of his callers, was not careful with it, and, uh, you know, several people were killed uh, when this person went on a shooting rampage in New York City. And so he is now... You know, he is dropped out of the public eye. He is living with his girlfriend, working in a video store. He is not anywhere near as successful or well-known or anything as, as what he used to be. Um, and he, as he's stumbling around drunk one night, uh, he starts to get attacked by um, some probably 20-somethings. You know, they seem like either college age or, or young Twenty uh, somethings are out. Um, apparently, uh, apparently, the uh, have you ever seen the Purge movies? Yes okay. or no, but I've heard of them. Okay, so apparently these guys were wanting to start the Purge way before the Purge ever started, um, yeah. and uh, killing homeless people. Right. So right. Um. So yeah. So that was uh, he. He is going to be attacked by them, and Perry, which is Robin Williams, comes to his rescue. And rescues him with a combination of uh, weaponry and singing. Yes. Um, and then from there, they kind of uh, befriend each other, but it's it's very reluctant on Jack's part until he finds out that the reason why Perry is the way he is is because his wife was uh, shotgunned right in front of him. And mm-hmm. so then uh, Jack realizes that he is somewhat responsible for what happened to Perry and decides right. to try to help him out. Does Perry recognize him? Because there is a line when he goes, I know who you are, Jack, or whatever his name is. Does he know him as the talk show guy that, or is that, was that just a, hey, I know who you are. And it was just kind of a superficial comment, if you will. Yeah, I don't know. I That one I'm, I'm still not sure of. If Perry knows exactly who he is and how he's connected to why things are the way they are for him. Yeah, it kept you guessing. Yeah. So that one that that part I'm not sure. Got it. So I but watching it this time around, there were some things that I caught on to that I had not I mean I had noticed in the past, but I you know, times where I was just watching it for fun, I, I wasn't watching it maybe as closely as we might do for, you know, watching it for the podcast. Um, mm-hmm. one of the things I really liked uh, you know, seeing this time, and, and I did notice it before the other times too, is when he is at his, and I'm using quote fingers for those people who can't see it, when he is at his most successful, um, when he's working on his radio show, whether that's at the beginning of the movie or then again at the end of the movie, um, when he's back and he's got his job back again, um, the way that whole thing is lit when he's in that little recording booth is it makes it look like he's in a prison cell. I don't know if you noticed that with some of the lighting. It's like it's very dark, but the way it's lit, it actually looks like there's bars on all the walls around him. I didn't notice that. I noticed the different lighting, but I didn't notice specifically what you're describing. I shall on 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 a rewatch. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna be looking for that. Yeah, it makes it look like he's in a cage or a prison cell of some kind. Because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. it's kind of a dark, kind of black, grayish room. Anyway, um, right? Yeah. So I thought that part cool. was, was kind of interesting. And, I, and Terry Gilliam, 
Terry Gilliam is really good about, you know, how he lights his movies and, you know, using odd camera angles to, to, you know, good effect. And, um, I mean, he's a, he's a quirky, unique filmmaker to begin with, you know, having, yeah. having started with Monty Python and all that stuff. But, um, I mean, we've, we've done several Terry Gilliam movies on the podcast before. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, this is, this is not our first, not our first go around, uh, with his movies, we did. Uh, let's see. One of the first ones we did, I think, was Brazil. Mm-hmm. And then we've also done. What else have we done? We've done the uh, Adventures of Baron Munchausen. I'm trying to think what else we've done of his on the podcast. That might be it. Might actually just be those two. I, yeah, I think that's it for the podcast. Yeah, because we Time Bandits was too early for us to have mm-hmm. done that one on the show. Um, Let's see. Yeah, we haven't done any of the Monty Pythons. We didn't do Holy Grail. We didn't do um, Meaning of Life. Yeah, so it would have been Brazil, Adventures of Baron Munchausen, and this one, The Fisher King. And then as we go on, I'm sure, well, I know for a fact, because I love that movie, um, when we get to 95, that'll be actually be his next movie. So it'll be a few more years. Um, he did 12 Monkeys. Mm-hmm. And, and then after that, in 98, he did Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I have seen 12 monkeys. I have not seen fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Okay. Okay. Um, so yeah. So, I mean, it's once you've, once you've seen a Terry Gilliam movie, you can pretty much, if another movie comes on, if it follows, you know, if it, if it's got some of the same camera work and lighting and, and, you know, kind of characters, uh, similar to that, you could probably pick it out and be like, Oh yeah, that's, um, I can tell, Pretty much right now, that's either Terry Gilliam or somebody that really likes Terry Gilliam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because they're all very similar. Right. So, and that worked well for this movie because part of this movie is about, um, you know, the varying degrees of people's mental state. And you mm-hmm. know, he, he uses the camera and he uses the lighting and he uses the scenery to, uh, to kind of affect all that. And, um, you know, just I think he's for for a topic like this and for characters that are dealing with some of these issues this is the director that you want if you want to show that things are just slightly askew or sometimes not right not as slightly uh so what was his message in this movie was it just a story and these characters were just used in the story or was he trying to tell us something deeper i think he was trying to tell us something deeper i'm curious to know what you think his message what do you think this movie was about (laughs) I think I need to rewatch it okay. um, I, I, to, to fully grasp that. But it, it seemed to be maybe about forgiveness, redemption, you know, cause the, the, the Jeff Bridges character, um, you know, was clearly trying to be free of his guilt. Right. Mm-hmm. and yeah. drinking and becoming a recluse didn't work. And so then he tried to buy his way out. Then he just, then he ended up just becoming friends with the guy and kind of helping him out. And then, you know, then the very end, they were kind of like friends, but, and I'm, I'm just, like I said, I'm my, my, you, if you heard me kind of there, my sigh it was, it was not that I think there was something wrong with the movie, but just my understanding is limited. Cause I, I think I might have to see it more to pick more up on it, but that's kind of what I saw. I didn't see any, 
statements on mental health beyond, hey, let's look at why someone ends up that way. And, you know, a traumatic experience can do that. And boy, when they, when he relived that shooting, that was, that was horrific. You know, that was just like, oh my gosh, you know, um, you know, to use our new, uh, soundboard, uh, static, that's extraordinary. What do you want to do next? Like when I saw that, I was, I was like, I, I, I don't know what would like what mental state I would be in if that happened to me. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I guess, but I mean, is that a, I, I'm thinking out loud. That's a deeper, is, is there a deeper message there? Or is that kind of message right on the surface? It's right there. Hey, a traumatic event will cause you to uh, kind of cause a little bit, uh, you know, of a, of a rewiring of a reframing of life, you know, and your perception of reality. I, but I, I didn't know if that was his message. I didn't find that very hidden or buried. Mm-hmm. It was kind of right there. So anyways, I'll, I'll, you pass the question to me. So I'll volley it right back to you. That's kind of, as far as my understanding went of the movie, are there any deeper things that uh, a rock that I have left unturned? I, I think you got it. Because I think okay. if if I had to boil this movie down to, and there's multiple themes that are going on in this movie, um, but if I had to boil it down to what is this movie about, I think the main thing that this movie is about is um, it's about forgiveness. So, and that was the okay. first thing you said um, was, you know, it's it's forgiveness, it's redemption. Um, you know, you're you're really looking at. I think, um, you know, I, th- I think when you talk about some of these, these like deeper feelings and, and kind of deeper messages of the movie, I think you're really looking at the idea of uh, pathos and mm-hmm. trying to, you know, the, the idea behind pathos is it's kind of like you can sum that up by saying it's, um, you know, using emotions and inspiring kind of that kind of response um uh pity i think is another way of saying pathos um just trying to like get the audience to feel something and you really get the emotions in this movie and you you get the emotions of needing or wanting or seeking forgiveness um Mm -hmm. you know some is right on the nose that whole uh, you know, supposed to be the tagline of the character he's going to play in the sitcom is, well, forgive me. And that's kind of a foreshadowing of, you know, what he's going to be looking for for the rest of the movie from Jack's point of view um, mm-hmm. is that he's looking for forgiveness. Like not only did he cause this guy to go on this, you know, shooting rampage and kill all these people, but he is confronted with someone who is directly um psychologically damaged like it didn't just kill his wife it ripped away his entire personality um Mm -hmm. you know and he he's come face to face he's rescued by this person um you know he was about to end his own life and then this person rescued him and so now Mm -hmm. that's where he feels indebted to him for the rest of the movie as well i gotta make it up to him somehow maybe i can give him some cash um, mm-hmm. you know, not really, not realizing that he doesn't care about cash. He's going to give that away to somebody who can use the cash. Um, mm-hmm. you know, like, what am I going to mm-hmm. do with the cash? Um, you know, and so I think, I think what you've got in the rest of the movie and, and for, for each of these different 
situations, you know, particularly for the two male characters. I I'm trying to think if forgiveness wise, I don't think that the female characters. I'm I'm not thinking of um, Anne or Lydia as being as much looking for or needing forgiveness. Right. Um, it's it's more Perry and Jack. Um, yes. And it's you know for Jack, it's it the main one is what he did that brought about this shooting and the loss of his job and the death of Perry's wife and, you know, all this other stuff. But then as the movie goes on, he also realizes how much of a jerk, well, it takes him a while, um, but he realizes how much of a jerk he's been to Anne. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, how he's kind of been just along for the ride with her. And, you know, she has those, those great scenes where she's yelling at him, you know, what a, you know, he, I think he says something to her. Well, you got something out of this too, and you know if if you've been yeah. watching the movie, no, she didn't. <laughs> and I think she says as much. What did I get? Did. What did I get out of this? Yeah, she says, "What do I?" Something like, "What What did I get out of this that I couldn't have gotten from some no name person any day of the week?" Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so so it really is. I mean, the main crux of the story is him looking for forgiveness. You know, looking for redemption, and. I think for Perry, it comes down to it's I I almost even don't want to call it forgiveness, but um, there is that great line. And I know we're kind of jumping around a little bit. I'm I'm kind of jumping almost all the way to the end of the movie. And there's that great line where Perry, you know, was was catatonic the second time after he had gotten beat up um, and Jack goes out and steals the, the grail for him, brings it back to him. And Jack, you know, pretends to be asleep in the chair and Perry wakes up, walks over to him and says, I had this dream, Jack. I was married. I was married to a beautiful woman and you were there too. And then he kind of pauses for a second. I really miss her, Jack. Is that okay? Can I miss her now? And then he pauses mm-hmm. again and just says, thank you. You know, Jack never says anything. Um, mm-hmm. But I think for Perry, some of it is if he feels guilty that he couldn't save his wife, even though there's nothing he could have done. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, maybe he feels guilt that, um, well, it it could be survivor's guilt. It could be that he Mm -hmm. just feels guilty that he's alive and she's not. Um, Oh yeah. You know, and, and just, and in this, I think it's, I think they said it's been a year since all this happened. Um, And in this year, he, since he's had this, this mental break, um, you know, at some point he has been following around Lydia and kind of watching her and he's kind of fallen in love with her. And I think some of that too is maybe asking his wife for forgiveness that he's wanting to move on and, right. you know, and, and start something with someone new. So I think for him, it's, it's that kind of forgiveness, but I love that scene. That's, that's, you know, that scene is one of the most heart wrenching scenes in the entire movie is when he's having that own little conversation with himself, he's talking to Jack, but um, you know, he's, he's talking basically to himself because nobody else is answering. And it's that whole scene of, you know, I was, I had this dream and I was married. I was married to a beautiful woman. I really miss her, Jack. Is that okay? Can I miss her now? And then, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of the moment that I think, you know, he ultimately forgives himself. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Jack struggles a little bit more throughout the movie of, you know, he's trying to do things to either buy forgiveness or earn forgiveness or, whatever the case may be. Um, and he doesn't really, you know, definitely doesn't get there until the end of the movie. But I would say that's the major theme of this movie is, is forgiveness. 
Um, okay. There's plenty of opportunities where, in particular, Jack continues to do something that's wrong or continues to do something that's, um, you know, either ill-informed or because of because of his ideas of, well, these homeless people are weird and crazy and I can't believe I'm on a first-name basis with some of these people, um, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. And he's still thinking that way until much later in the movie. And and that's when he truly starts to redeem himself is when he's not seeing it as, you know, I'm on this level and these people are on this level. It's more of a, yeah. it's more of a, you know, we're all broken. We're, yeah. all, we're all broken. doesn't matter how much money we have or what kind of clothes we wear. We're all broken. Um, I used to have a poster up in my classroom and it was something along the lines of, um, oh, what is the quote? It's uh, everyone is going through a, a hard battle. Um, so something along the lines of everyone is dealing with with some kind of hard battle in their life. So be kind to everyone. Yeah. And I think that would probably sum up the part of the message of this movie is uh, is is a big piece of it is forgiveness. But the other piece of it, too, is just realizing that, you know, it really doesn't matter what floor you live on. Uh, you know, in a in a New York City high rise, or it doesn't matter what your job is, and it doesn't matter what kind of clothes you wear, or what car you drive. Um, it's that there are problems everywhere. So yeah, you know, because I I think you do get a you do get a pretty strong current of uh, Terry Gilliam wanting to give some kind of message related to homelessness as well, since that's such a big part of this movie. Um, right. You know, so I think that's that's probably kind of a secondary stream that runs through this movie yeah you're getting some empathy you know they want to get you they want you to give some empathy or have some empathy yeah um what's the what's the phrase i'm going to butcher it but there but for the grace of god go i mm-hmm. you yeah. know i mean it's 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 like that kind of a that kind of an aesthetic yeah i which is interesting to have watched this movie now because we have um you know, I've mentioned a few times on the show that uh, you and I, you know, tend to f- share fairly similar beliefs in terms of our faith. Um, mm-hmm. And we've recently, uh, our uh, group of friends, we've been kind of going through and, and talking about the idea of forgiveness, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and how do people show forgiveness? What is true forgiveness look like? Um, you know, who who do we forgive? Uh, if we need forgiveness ourselves, how do we seek that out? Um, so it was interesting to watch this movie and that being one of the major themes of it that I, I'm sure I caught, uh, watching it before, but I really caught this time because we had been for, for several weeks now, we've been kind of talking about that topic. Um, right. You know, and, and, and talking about, you know, what does that look like? And, and even, you know, some challenging questions of like, you know, instances of if a truly terrible person, uh, and sometimes, you know, sometimes they'll go to the extreme and use Nazis as the example. Right. Um, you know, what if right. Nazis asked for forgiveness at the last moment before they died? Um, you know, are they, are they worthy or, or are they, have, do they have the same forgiveness available to them that we have to us? And so it's been, you know, asking some of those questions and, and talking through, you know, well, what is our, what is our belief around the idea of forgiveness and, and who, mm-hmm. who has access to that forgiveness and, um, yeah, so it's it's just been kind of interesting to to be talking about that outside of this movie and then come to a movie where that's kind of the you know, the major theme. 
No, man, I agree. I agree. So <laughs> now, now, now we're going to become that podcast and say like, oh, well, what did you come up with with the Nazi question? Obviously, it's the age old, you know, I mean, yeah. now, now my curiosity, now my brain's racing, my curiosity's, you know, but no, it's, it's like that. I was talking about, um, as long as they're not Illinois Nazis, I hate Illinois. Nazis. That's right. I hate Illinois. Nazis. Um, I was talking about that with a friend of mine and I had, you know, was reading and it was about, um, a situation in a war where, you know, um, you know, the, the term collateral damage or, uh, you know, civilians, you know, a village was destroyed and whatnot. And, um, it was, it was something that was accidental, right? It wasn't like, uh, you know, like a, a war crime or a, a something of that nature. And the commander went to the village and had to go, um, you know, ask for forgiveness. And the interpreter was like, Oh no, no, just ask for forgiveness. They'll forgive you. You know? And he was like, really? Like, I can't, you know, I couldn't, fa-, you know, he was writing that he couldn't fathom that. And the, you know, the individual went on to say this interpreter went on to say, no, though, that's a cornerstone of the faith that the people in the village had uh, was that, y- yeah, you, you have to forgive because that lets them let go. And then now they're not harboring that evil inside them. Right. You know, and I was talking to my friend about that. And, and my friend, Brandon is a, is a very wise <laughs> person, a, a very good friend. And he was like kind of breaking it down for me. I'm like, Oh yeah. Like he, he broke it down and, and, you know, in our discussion, it made more sense. Um, well, may not made more sense. You know what I'm getting at. Right. But like, yeah. it, it yeah. just kind of helped frame it out and it was like, Oh Yeah. You know, so that means that you're no longer carrying that burden if you're the one that does the forgiving, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, yeah, that I don't know, I, but that's a, it, that's a hard deal. Yeah. Well, and that part of it is, you know, some of the things that, that we've been talking about related to forgiveness is that, yes, it, it frees up, it, it unbinds you as the person who does the forgiving because otherwise mm-hmm. you, you're bound to whatever it was that was done as an offense, um, you know, whether you mean to or not, you're bound to that by holding a grudge. Um, you know, I think that's perfect imagery, holding a grudge. You know, you're holding on to something, um, but you're you're not only you're not only giving forgiveness to the person that needs it, but you are unburdening yourself of some of the connection and the you know, being bound to it, that that comes along with, um, you're also, you know, in, in, in our faith, uh, you know, a lot of times it's, it's about serving others. And that's mm-hmm. one of the, one of the phrases we came up with was that's almost like its own way of serving another person is to show forgiveness is to, to grant forgiveness for something. Um, you know, and, and that ultimately, um, you know, one of the things that we kept talking about is that of all the different things something like forgiveness is very, uh, very unnatural. You know, it's, it kind of goes against, uh, what we think of as being human nature. You know, you don't typically see in, in the animal kingdoms, you don't typically see forgiveness happening. Um, you -hmm. know, if, if, you know, one attacks another, then, you know, you attack them back, um, or, you know, you stay away from them or whatever the case may be. But, um, you know, there's not a whole lot of, you know, forgiveness is not something that comes naturally or comes easy. 
Um, right. That a lot of times it's it's the opposite of what we want to do. It's the opposite of what we feel like our natural response would be. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah. So I think, especially looking at it in this movie, and 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 that's why I think it's so difficult for Jack in particular is his natural instinct is well, and especially you know the life he's lived. He's he's been wealthy. He's been popular. He's been a celebrity. Um, so in the life he's lived, it's, well, I can, I can throw money at this and then the problem will go away. Mm-hmm. Like, I, cause forgiveness is hard. Like if I needed to seek out forgiveness, that means I'm going to have to face people that I wronged. Um, mm-hmm. that means I'm going to have to do the hard personal work of looking them in the eye and asking right. for their, for, for their forgiveness. And it's just, there's so much of that is so difficult that I think a lot of people, you just shy away from it because you don't want right. to do the you don't want to do the hard work. It's just easier if I can avoid it, um, right? Or in his case, it's just easier if I can buy it off. Can I give the guy some cash, and then we'll be right. we'll be squared away? We'll, we're good, um, you know. But it's a you know, it's a much it's a much harder and more lengthy process than that. Sometimes I think. Yeah, yeah, it's hard, and it's, and you I don't mean, necessarily no, you don't. Yeah. You, I'm sorry. You don't necessarily have everyone on the sidelines going, yeah, man, keep going, keep going. More often than not, you got the people going, dude, take them down. Don't think like, yeah. why are you being so weak? Attack, you know, like it, it, yeah. Well, and the one thing that we, we had been talking about too, was one of the other points about forgiveness is that really when you, when you go through that process of forgiving someone, if you were the person that was wronged and you need to be, and you are the ones that you are the one that's offering that forgiveness or responding to a, a request for forgiveness, then one of the things that, that when we talked about this, that uh, in some of the materials we're reading, um, that it really, what makes it also difficult is that going through that act of forgiveness brings you alongside the person who wronged you. It kind of brings you both on the same level, um, mm-hmm. you know, to the point where even if that person did something truly terrible in this movie, he, he got mm-hmm. his wife killed. You mm-hmm. know, I, I can't imagine how I would feel if I met someone that I knew was, was almost directly responsible, well, indirectly, but almost very directly responsible for the death of my wife. Mm-hmm. If that happened... And I confronted that person. I think my first natural reaction would not be, well, I'm going to come alongside this person and I'm going to offer them forgiveness so that uh, he and I can be on the same level with each other. And, you know, a lot of times when when someone has wronged us, especially in such a heinous way as this, is Mm -hmm. you don't want to be on the same side as that person. You you want you want to oppose that person. You want to be you want to have power over them to make up for what they took away from you. And I think that's what makes forgiveness messy. Um, Mm -hmm. And what makes it so difficult for Jack in this movie is, well, Perry's weird and he's homeless and he's dirty and he's poor. And why would somebody like Jack want to come alongside him and, and become an equal? Right. Which is why I think that's another way that it, it makes it so difficult for him. You know, if, if Perry, if Perry was still the, what was he, a college professor? If, if Perry was still a professor of literature, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and they could meet and talk to each other on the street as economical uh, equals, 
or mm-hmm. intellectual equals or, or whatever, um, you know, then Jack might, I mean, Jack wouldn't have learned as much as he did in the rest of this movie, but, um, right. you know, that might've been a little bit easier thing rather than you are this, you were this wealthy, successful celebrity. And now you have to bring yourself to the same level as a semi-insane homeless person mm-hmm. in order mm-hmm. to get the forgiveness and redemption that you're looking for. Right. I like this movie. I like this movie. Yeah. I'm it's, still not talking about the movie. I'm still playing. No, that's fine. And for me, it's, it's like, you can't throw a switch. You got to keep working at it. You got to mm-hmm. convince yourself, which is, I think what you saw the Jeff Bridges character, yeah. you know, he's talking, he's talking, he's talking. And now it's like, no, I got to do this. You know, like he's, you know, you're, you would have to constantly be working and telling yourself almost mm-hmm. like mantra, like, you know, to try and get yourself on the, on the right page. I would think to get in that mindset, to be able to forgive, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I mean, you know, it's easy for me to sit here and say, okay, you know what? I'm going to be a lot more forgiving of my kids if they're whining a little bit about having to put video games away or, okay, at work, you know, like stuff goes a little crazy, you know, goes a little crooked. It's easy to hold a grudge and remember like the next time. No, but it, you know, it's easy ish to be like, okay, no, I'm just going to forgive the people I work with. Hey, it's okay. I know you didn't mean anything by it. Go on and you see someone die horrifically, you know, being shot to death in front of you, mm-hmm. boy, that would, that's not like something I me personally, you could just throw a switch and suddenly you're in forgiveness mode. Right. And I think that scene was just so awful. I mean, incredible scene, but just what it depicted was so awful. Yeah. So, well, and, and Perry is continually chased by the Red Knight um, throughout this movie. And, and that's, you know, anytime it seems like the Red Knight shows up anytime he's about to have some kind of genuine emotion or, you know, mm-hmm. any kind of return to who he used to be. Anytime he even gets kind of close to something like that. Um, you know, the whole scene where he and Lydia are walking back to her apartment and you know mm-hmm. that, that's when he has probably the most intense um most intense vision of the red knight is after he's kind of unburdened himself you know she runs through that whole thing of well i i know what you're planning to do you know you're going to you're walking me home and you're going to come upstairs and you're going to have some coffee <laughs> and he keeps going i don't even like coffee so I, it's not a not a thing um and she's like you know yeah. then you're going to want to sleep over and then in the morning, um, you're going to be distant and you're not going to call. And, you, and, and I, I love that scene because then he, he kind of gets to the, he's like, okay, what I need you to do right now is just shut up. Yeah. Just shut up. Yeah. It's like, first of all, yeah. I don't, first of all, I don't like coffee. Second mm-hmm. of all. And then he starts going through the whole thing. He's like, I, I need you to kind of slow down here because we have, we've gotten together, we've slept together and we've broken up all in the span of 30 seconds. So I need you to just shut up for a minute. And yeah. give me a chance to let you know that I am, that's not who I am. And that's not what my intentions were and, 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 and none of that. Um, and then he goes through and he, he lays out, you know, his feelings and everything. And it's, this is what Robin Williams does so well 
and why. I know what you're saying, and I totally agree. Yeah, and he, but he can flip back and forth between zany, crazy, um, you know, insane character to one of the greatest actors ever. Yeah. And I, I was listening to a couple of different interviews. I was, I, I was able to catch some interviews on YouTube of, you know, different people who had worked on this movie together and, and to a person, I think Terry Gilliam said Mercedes rule, um, Jeff Bridges, pretty much everybody said the same thing. They said, you know what? It, Jeff Bridges, I think was actually the one that said it. Um, he said, you know, I always, I was intimidated to work with Robin Williams because he's such a comedic genius. And he said, but mm -hmm. I was, I was totally wrong. He's not a comedic genius. He is an amazing actor. And it just, oh, so, yeah. it just so happens that comedy is one of the tools that he knows how to, to use best. Um, but even beyond that, he comedy is just one piece of him and the things that he can do as an actor even beyond comedy are just mm -hmm. that that's what makes him one of the best and I he think, can go ahead no, I, I interrupted I, you i was just gonna say this movie in particular i think shows his ability because this is right around the time when he was doing um you know good morning vietnam and dead poet society and and all of those where he is flipping that switch between, mm -hmm. you know, manic, crazy personality and whoop, dramatic actor and, mm -hmm. and doing it in such a way that it's not jarring for the audience. It's wow. This guy is good. And he is so good at showing vulnerability. Yes. Like he can portray someone that is exactly like this, you know, hurt, hurting and just vulnerable. Yeah. And he does this in so many of his movies and it's a look, it's a, a head nod, a, a, a body position, a, a, a body language thing. But yeah, he is. Yeah. Robin Williams is pretty amazing. He can go in, in the same breath. He can go from telling one of the dirtiest jokes you could probably imagine to having this childlike innocence on his face. And you completely believe both of them. Yes. Uh, greed. Yeah. And that's what makes me sad that he's not here anymore. That was that realization. And, you know, boy, I'm not the guy to like make sense of that, but that realization that Robin Williams and, and what happened to him and then seeing some of this in the movie, it was, you know, it was, uh, Sobering to say the least. Mm -hmm. Very sad. Very sad. Well, and just knowing that, knowing how he dealt, you know, knowing how he was dealing with depression and, and going through all that. And then seeing, like you said, like the vulnerability of the parts that he played as an actor. Um, you just look at that and you just go like, man, I, I wish, I wish some of the some of the happy Hollywood endings that had happened in his movies had happened for him as a person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because in, in most of his movies, even though he's dealing with depression or dealing with, you know, some other kind of uh, you know mental stress or anything like that, it you know, for the most part, in most of his movies, it it works out okay in the end and it just you kinda wish that for the guy that it would have he would have gotten the, 
you know, semi Hollywood ending and, and that it wouldn't have been, wouldn't have ended the way that it did. Yeah. And how many of those movies was he just not acting in? Right. Right. Yeah. yeah, it was uh, it was an amazing movie, and yeah, he's an amazing actor. Him and Jeff Bridges together, that was excellent. Oh yeah, um, they that was so great. Well, they, I was as, as I said, I was looking at some of the different. Um, I was catching some some interviews that some of the other folks had done, and and um, you know Jeff Bridges came in, and he was. You know, he's not, I wouldn't say necessarily a serious actor, but definitely more serious than Robin Williams. And Terry Gilliam, having been a member of Monty Python, in one of the interviews, Terry Gilliam was saying, you know, it's great to have Jeff Bridges there because he kind of like, he would like make sure that, you know, everybody got to work and, and did what they needed to do. And like he he brought the some of the seriousness to it. He's like, because if it was just me and Robin, like we would be like, woo, like way up in the clouds. Yeah you know, doing our thing. And, you know, sometimes it was, it was Jeff Bridges that brought us back down to earth and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, but, but they also said that there were times where it would be, I think Jeff, Jeff Bridges told a story. He's like, yeah, there were some times it was like four o'clock in the morning and we were still working. It had been a 16 hour day for us. We were still filming something. And he said, everybody was tired. Everybody was ready to go, you know, go home and go to sleep. Um, and he said, but there would be like, those would be the times when Robin would all of a sudden just start, you know, he'd he'd break out of character and he would just start like roasting every person on the cast and crew, um, mm-hmm. you know, just for fun and like making fun of each person in a, in a good natured way. And, uh, right. and and Jeff Bridges said, you know, most directors would would get angry and they'd be like, hey, cut it out. We got work to do. We got to finish. He's like Terry Gilliam just basically stepped back and let Robin do it because. Um, once Robin was done and not only that, he'd encourage him. He's like, Hey, you forgot about the cameraman over here. What about that guy? And, um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, the catering guy is over here, make fun of him too. And, and, um, you know, he, Jeff Bridges said that actually gave us the energy that we needed after these, you know, 16, 20 hour, whatever days, um, at four in the morning to get these scenes done. And he's like, I've never, I think he made the comment. He's like, "I, I, I don't know that I've worked on a movie like that since. Right. It's just he had that gift, man. Yeah. All right. Do we before we go into three questions, we got anything else we want to say about the Fisher King? It's magnificent. See it. I'm so happy I did. Yeah, if you have not checked this one out, even if you're a little weirded out by some of Terry Gilliam's camera work and, and things like that, um, this one is definitely worth a watch. You know, you definitely give it a give it a shot. Um I know sometimes some I've 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 talked with friends before that are a little off put by uh, Terry Gilliam's filmmaking style, but um, you know this one is definitely it's definitely worth it. So if you can if you can give it a chance, I, I highly recommend watching this one if you have not already. Agreed, one hundred percent. All right, Patrick, I think it's going to be time for three questions. I think it's time for three questions, John. One, two, three. He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything 
that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, three questions. And question number one is, what is your favorite Terry Gilliam movie that is not a Monty Python movie? John, I'm going to let you go first. Okay. Um, for me, overall, mm-hmm. if, if I were to take every aspect of the movie from the directing, the visuals, the cast, the acting, the everything else, um, I would probably say this movie. All right. I would say cool. this movie. Um, the one, if I'm just going purely on, I could rewatch this thing multiple times back to back. Um, you know, I, I love the story. I love all the other stuff. I would say 12 monkeys. Yeah. I might just steal your answer. Cause that's kind of how I feel too. Okay. I mean, I, I really enjoyed Brazil. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed the adventures of Baron Mon, Mon Shunch for a little of them. Sure. What's his name? Uh, Munchausen. 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 Yeah. yeah. I really enjoyed that one too. I got to go back and see time bandits. I saw it too young. I didn't quite. Yeah. frame like oh this is what he's shooting for right yeah um but uh yeah i um I, i'm gonna share your answer because i i think yeah man daily double i think we got it there we go yeah I, baron munchausen i mean that we watched that one repeatedly as kids so i mean i, I do love that one too but um mm-hmm. yeah it's just if i now as an adult um 12 Monkeys is the one I'm going to rewatch more often, but quality-wise, best movie, probably got to be this one. Agreed. All right, question number two. It's 1991, and you've just won a prize where you get a free video store membership. What's the first VHS tape you are going to rent? Um. So given that time frame, it is 1991, so you can't, you can't rent anything that's from 1992 can- or newer. Right, I can't say Matrix. I'm going to go Commando. You know what I'm saying? Okay, you're going to go Commando, but what are you going to rent? Ah, there it is, man. There it is. I'm going to rent Commando. I'm going back. That was such a great movie. Hold hold on. Hold on. You you saying that you're going to go Commando, um, I think we need to use the new soundbite we got. That's that's extraordinary. What would you like to do next? (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad we've got the soundboard. There we go. Uh, All right, so, so, so you're going to rent Commando. Com- okay. I'll rent Commando because okay. I, I I remember always passing that at the Blockbuster, seeing that cover and being like, man, and then not seeing that movie until we did it for the podcast and being like, why, like, wh- oh, why did I wait this long? So, yes, Commando. Okay. Um. I am okay. I I realized I need to look this up real quick. Oh no. Oh, what's wrong? Okay. Mm. It's a 92 movie. It wasn't on VHS until 92. Oh shoot. So I can't rent it. Rocketeer? I my easy answer was going to be Rocketeer. Mm. Rocketeer did not come out on VHS until February 5th, 1992. Uh-oh. Oh, son of a John. monkey. All right. Um, All right. John's going to have to do a little play action here. Okay. John's going to, we're going to have to audible this one. Um, John is going to go with, what is John going to go with? 
Um, <laughs> well, let's see. And if it's 91, do I have to go with how old I would be at the time? I was 10 years old at the time. Huh. Well, that, that is a bit of a pickle. Are you in a pickle? <sighs> I am. Uh, this is me in a nutshell. This is what what Hell am I doing in this nutshell? Well, this is such a bloody big nutshell. Um, what are you thinking, man? Are you thinking Willow? Or are you thinking? I might. You know what? At that age and at that time, I might be going Willow. You haven't seen Aliens yet? No, haven't seen Aliens yet. Um, haven't seen Alien yet. I haven't seen any of them yet. I didn't see those okay. until. Didn't see those until we moved to England. Um, okay. And that was the first time I watched those. So, yeah, it really at this point, if it's 1991, I'm still, I'm going to turn 11 in December of 91. So, at this point, I really haven't seen any of the more adult movies that I would see, mm -hmm. like, in the next year or two. Um, okay. So, none of, the, none of the Terminators, the Predators, the Aliens, the Robocops, the, any of that stuff. Um, I'm going to, yeah, let's, you know what? Let's go with Willow. There you go. At the time. Nice. <clears throat> at the time, I think it would have been, I'm also trying to think if I'm renting it from the video store, like what did we have at home, uh, mm -hmm. that I would already have that, uh, I wouldn't need to get at the video store, but, um, I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to either say Willow or I'm going to say Batman 89. Oh, Batman 89. Dude, you know what? I, that's so ridiculous that I said, you know, well, I don't know. Batman I, 89. I wasn't even thinking. Yeah. All right. I commando's a good one though. Yeah. Commando's a good. Yeah. 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 We got the good movies up there. Could, We're good. You, you can go commando. I don't mind. There. Okay. I fight crime in a rubber suit. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> okay. Question, question number two, whatever <clears throat> to which I respond. <laughs> um, oh, no. you know what we didn't do we didn't end up singing the lydia song we did not sing the lydia song the lydia oh lydia say have you met lydia oh lydia the <laughs> tattooed lady she has eyes that folks adore so and a torso even more so lydia oh lydia that encyclopedia oh lydia the queen of tattoo on her back is the battle of waterloo beside it the wreck of the hesperus too You can, you can learn a lot. I, I was I was surprised that Kankakee got mentioned. Um, Kankakee got mentioned. You can learn a lot from Lydia. She can give you a view of the world in a tattoo if you step up and tell her where. For a dime, you can see Kankakee or Perry or, mm -hmm. uh, or Perry or Washington crossing the Delaware. Oh, Lydia, oh, Lydia, say, have you met Lydia? And that was... Um, I, the original, I think, was uh, was it Groucho Marx? That I don't know. You'll have to educate me on the original. Okay, I feel like the original singing of that was was on the Marx Brothers show. Okay. Yeah, I also think the Muppets did a version, but I'm not 100 percent sure on that. Well, if the Muppets did it, I'll have to search that up. Oh yeah, yeah. Actually, here, hold on. Yeah, here it comes. Okay, here we go. Ask and ye shall receive. We're going to have a great show for you tonight. And matter of fact, right now, I'd like you to meet another friend of mine. Her name is Lydia. 
Hit it. <laughs> Lydia, oh Lydia, say have you met Lydia? Lydia the tattooed lady. She has eyes that folks adore so and a torso even more. So Lydia, oh Lydia, that encyclopedia. Oh Lydia, the queen of tattoo. On her back is the Battle of Waterloo. Beside it, the wreck of the Hesperus too. Proudly above waves the red, white, and blue. You can learn a lot from Lydia. Yeah, so anyway. <laughs> Fun tune. So you know when the Muppets got it. It's, yeah, but I think the original was might have been the Marx Brothers. All right. So I think there's a there might be one here. Um, if we get past the ad on YouTube, there we go. Well, Grammarly or something needs to mm-hmm. sell its wares. Right. No, this, ah! this, this was that creepy uh, that creepy mirror that you can exercise in front of and it talks to you. Oh, oh that's great. That's what everybody needs. I keep seeing those. I feel like that was in a Freddy Krueger movie, so I don't really want to do with that. That's, yeah. All right, let's see here. Glorious creature under the sun. Thais, Dubai, Gobble, rolled into one. Lydia, oh Lydia, say, have you met Lydia? Lydia the tattooed lady. She has eyes that folks adore so, and a torso even more so. Lydia, oh Lydia, that encyclopedia. Oh Lydia, the queen of tattoo. On her back is the Battle of Waterloo. Beside it, the wreck of the Hesperus too. And proudly above. Yeah, so I think that might be the original because I. I was looking it up, and I think the song was first written in the late 30s. So Okay. Yeah. No. I don't know. Don't know if anyone coming before that would have done it. Yeah. All right. So last of the three questions. Uh, question number three. Do you have a favorite Arthurian legend? Uh, I, you know... Uh... Man, I wish I could play the deep cut. You probably have like 10 of them. Um, I'm, I, you know, like the one I like is just the idea of the sword and the stone and the, you know, the person that's worthy can pull it out. And I mean, that's kind of like goes something similar you get with Thor's hammer. And I just like, I, you know, it's so cliche. That's probably the low hanging fruit one that everybody mentions. But that's just, I, I just like that idea. You know, the whole, if you build it, they will come. We're, you know, you got to be worthy. I just, I don't know. I think that's cool. Yeah. What do you got, John? Um, I'm going to go with one of the stories that I enjoyed um, in one of my classes in college that we were, as we were reading through some of the different uh, Arthurian stories. Um, I'm going to go with... Uh, I'm going to go with Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to go with that one. Okay. So I basically, do you know the story of that one at all? Uh, you know what? I was just about to say, can you, I remember reading it. 
yeah. uh, you know, in, in literature, but uh, give me the, give me the play by play. I'm going to, I'm, I'm actually going to, cause I know just me doing it from memory is not going to do it justice. So um, I was, I pulled it up here on, in a couple of different places. Um, let's do, uh, let's do, I do Wikipedia here. That's easy enough. Um, so basically the basic idea is uh, in Camelot, King Arthur's court is exchanging gifts and waiting for feasting to start on New Year's Eve. Uh, the king mm-hmm. asks to see or hear of an exciting adventure. A gigantic figure entirely green in appearance and riding a green horse rides unexpectedly, unexpectedly into the hall. He wears no armor but bears an axe in one hand and a holly bow in the other. Refusing to fight anyone there on the grounds they're all too weak, he insists he has come for a friendly Christmas game. Someone is to mm-hmm. strike him once with his axe on the condition that the Green Knight may return the blow in a year and a day. Um, so basically, did you ever watch uh, How I Met Your Mother? Yeah, maybe. Okay, so basically this is like the Arthurian version of the slap bet. Okay. Yeah. Uh, All right. Where uh, was it Marshall and um, uh, Barney would, uh, they would do the thing where they, you know, one of them could get slapped once really hard or you know once really hard right now or five times over the course of you know whenever and so then they would like dole out these slaps at different times right okay that's, that's kind of like sir gawain in the green knight um understood but anyway the idea is that uh, someone can strike him once with his axe uh, but then he can return the blow in a year and a day uh the axe will belong to whoever accepts this deal king arthur is prepared to accept the challenge when it appears no other knight will dare but sir gawain Youngest of Arthur's knights and his nephew asks for the honor instead. The giant bends and bears his neck before him, and Gawain neatly beheads him in one stroke. However, the green knight neither falls nor falters, but instead reaches out, picks up the severed head, and mounts his horse. Uh, The green knight, which is not really how you want your New Year's Eve party to go, but... uh, The green knight shows his bleeding head to Queen Guinevere, while it reminds Gawain that the two must meet again at the green chapel in a year and a day before the knight rides away. Gawain and Arthur admire the axe, hang it up as a trophy, and encourage Guinevere to treat the whole matter lightly. Uh, hmm. As the date approaches, Sir Gawain leaves to find the Green Chapel and keep his part of the bargain. Many adventures and battles are alluded to. Um, he comes across a splendid castle where he meets the lord of the castle and his beautiful wife, who are pleased to have such a renowned guest. Also present is an old and ugly lady, unnamed but treated with great honor by all. Gawain tells them of his New Year's appointment at the Green Chapel and that is only a few days remaining. The Lord laughs, explaining there is a path that will take him to the chapel less than two miles away and proposes that Gawain rest at the castle until then. So Gawain does. The Lord proposes a bargain to Gawain. He goes hunting every day, and he will give Gawain whatever he, whatever he catches on the condition that Gawain give him whatever he may gain during the day. Gawain accepts. After he leaves, his wife visits Gawain's bedroom and behaves seductively, but despite her best efforts, he allows her nothing but a single kiss. When the Lord returns and gives Gawain the deer he killed, Gawain gives a kiss to him without divulging its source. The next day, the lady returns to Gawain, who again courteous, uh, courteously foils her advances. And later that day, there's a similar exchange of a hunted boar for two kisses. She comes once more on the third morning, but once again, her advances are denied. She offers a Gawain a gold ring as a keepsake. He gently but steadfastly refuses, but she pleads that he at least take her sash, a girdle of green and gold silk. The sash, the lady assures him, is charmed and will keep him safe from all physical harm. Tempted, as he may otherwise die the next day, he accepts it, and they exchange three kisses. The lady has Gawain swear that he will keep the gift secret from her husband, 
That evening, the Lord returns with a fox, which he exchanges with Gawain for the three kisses, and Gawain does not mention the sash. The next day, Gawain binds the sash around his waist. Outside the green chapel, only an earthen mound containing a cavern, he finds the green knight sharpening an axe. As promised, Gawain bends his bared, back, uh, bared neck to receive the blow. At the first swing, Gawain flinches slightly, and the green knight be, belittles him for it. Ashamed of himself, Gawain does not flinch with the second swing, but again the green knight withholds the full force of his blow. The knight explains he was testing Gawain's nerve. Uh, angrily, he tells him, deliver this blow, so the knight does, causing only a slight wound on his neck and ending the game. Gawain seizes his sword, helmet, and shield, but the green knight, laughing, reveals himself to be none other than the lord of the castle, uh, transformed by magic. He explains the entire adventure was a trick of the elderly lady Gawain saw at the castle, who is the sorceress Morgan Le Fay, Arthur's stepsister, who intended to test Arthur's knights and frighten Guinevere to death. The nick Gawain suffered on the third stroke was because of his attempt to conceal the gift of the sash. Gawain is ashamed to have behaved deceitfully, but the Green Knight laughs and pronounces him the most blameless knight of all the land. Cool. So, basically, if you go stay in a castle and the, the lady of the castle is trying to come on to you, mm -hmm. just say no. Just say no. If Nancy Reagan taught us nothing else, just say no. You're going to have a drink. Drink your drink. Drink your drink. Be polite. Be polite. Go home. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> awesome. That's, uh, that's extraordinary. What would you like to do next? Uh-huh. Yeah. Which, which, ironically, is what Gawain kept saying to the lady of the castle. Yes. That's, uh, that's extraordinary. What would you like to do next? Mm -hmm. All right. On that note. On that note, that final note. Final note. All right. Well, that's going to do it for the Fisher King, um, mm -hmm. which uh, in and of itself is also an Arthurian legend. You can go check that one out if you if you have not uh, familiarized yourself with that. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, plenty of other good King Arthur stories out there too um, for anybody who wants to go check them out. But. Uh, that is going to do it for the Fisher King for us here this evening or whenever you're listening. It doesn't have to be the evening time. Um, but yeah, we are the 30-something movie podcast, and uh, we've got some other great movies that are coming up here pretty soon. Uh, we've got in the month of December, our Patreon is It's a Wonderful Life, which we're doing with Jason Colvin from the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. Then we've got Stone Cold, Night on Earth, The Giver, My Own Private Idaho, Homicide, and City Slickers. Uh, then in January, starting up the next year for 1992, we started off with crime and punishment month. Our Patreon is to kill a mockingbird from 1962. And then we've got lethal weapon, Hoffa, my cousin, Vinny and passenger 57. Oh, good stuff. Got some good stuff to kick off, uh, January of, uh, January of 2022 as we enter mm -hmm. the 1992 year, uh, on that yes. one. So all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, if you want to catch us. Go to 30podcast.com. That's our website. That's got links to our social media, to our Patreon, to all the different ways you can interact with the show and check out all the other episodes prior to this one. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, I, Pat, as always, it's fun talking movies with you. It is fun talking movies with you, John, especially really great movies. Yes, and this is a really great one. If you have not, yes. go check this one out. The Fisher King. Yes. Go get it right now. All right. Everybody. Be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies. 
and we'll see you back here next time. Bye. Bye.